Hello, I'm Perry Gard and welcome to Tea Time Tech Marketing Leaders. Welcome back to the show. So grateful you're here. I had a wonderful conversation with Matthew Ziegler back in Q4 sometime. Um, I'm a little out of order. So thank you, Matt, for your patience waiting for your show. I'm very excited to share this episode. Matthew is a technical product marketer for a company called Clarity. And I've been talking to a lot of product marketers lately. And the thing that keeps coming up for product marketers is messaging and getting away from talking about your products and your features and getting more in line with solutions and the challenges that your ideal customer profile has in relation to what problems your product solves. But Matthew was really interesting because we, the way he thinks about messaging is this, I don't want to say black and white, but it's this fine line he walks between speaking to the data of what's actually happening in a way that isn't about striking fear into the hearts of his customers and forcing them to buy based off of that emotion. It's more about informing and then following up intentionally. And it's this really lovely balance that he strikes. And we we unpack that together. And I can't wait for you to take a listen. Before we get there, a little bit about Matthew Ziegler. He's Director of Product Marketing at Clarity. Clarity is on a mission to secure all cyber physical systems across industrial, healthcare, and enterprise environments. The extended internet of things as well. Their platform is deployed by hundreds of organizations at thousands of sites across all seven continents. Matthew, in particular, is an experienced product marketing manager with demonstrated history of working in technical fields, skilled in product marketing, international marketing, and data analysis with a master of science, focused in international business and emerging markets from the University of Edinburgh. And we talk a lot about his background and how it's this wonderful intersectionality of things that he then brings to the table in the way that he sees bringing products to market. Hi, Matt. Thank you for joining me on Tea Time and Tech Marketing Leaders. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you. And what of you? I love I love that you're sitting in New York City right now and I get to enjoy your view. So thank you for that little gift to me. <laughs> yeah, of course. Always welcome. <laughs> Before we get to the heart of our conversation, which I'm dying to dig into, tell me your story, Matt. What do you do and how did you get there? Yeah, so um, I'm the director of product marketing for a company called Clarity. Uh, We're a cybersecurity company that focuses on protecting cyber physical systems. So basically any digital device that controls a physical process. Uh, I guess an example of this could be anything from the PLCs, devices that control manufacturing processes, uh, regulate safety controls and power plants and utilities, medical devices that deliver patient care, uh, or building management systems that control things like um, 
airflow and temperature in, in these types of facilities. I've always been interested in technical things, uh, especially on the automation side. You know, I worked for a while in um, marketing for semiconductor equipment and chemical manufacturing. Uh, I did a short stint in industrial printing, uh, always on the marketing, uh, product marketing, messaging side of things. So it just kind of uh, was a natural evolution into the uh, cyber physical world. And why why marketing? Like. Did you choose marketing or did marketing choose you? Um, you know, I guess, I guess I don't really know how to answer that because uh, I went to school for it. So I guess we could say that I chose it. Um, but if I look back as to why I went to school for it, I have no idea. Um, it just, it, it felt natural at the time. Um, and of course I, I like talking, so uh, it was a good fit. Um, but uh, definitely on the technical side of things, I, you know, I don't know that I would see myself on the B2C uh, marketing end of the firm. Wow, you, I don't want into many people who actually went to school for marketing. So that is, that's always very interesting. Um, and you went to school in, in Edinburgh for that, or was that for something else? That was for something else. So I, I did my undergraduate in marketing uh, at the University of Louisiana uh, in, in the very, very deep south. And um, I'd always been interested in international business. So I figured, you know, what the heck, I should uh, actually go internationally to do an international business degree. Uh, so I found a program at the University of Edinburgh uh, focusing on international business and emerging markets. Uh, so I went, went ahead and got the master's there. Uh, after that, I decided, well, I have a degree in emerging markets now. I should go live in one. So I moved to India for a little while uh, and worked at a 3D printing startup. Wow. You've lived all over. I'd gotten around a bit. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Are you feel like you're settled in New York or are you looking like, where could I go to next? What what sort of, do you get that itch every few years? I feel like I do. I feel like I get that itch. Like, oh, yeah, definitely. Especially growing up the way I did moving every few years, um, even as an adult now, it's like, okay, when, you know, when's the next place I'm going to live? But it's really hard to leave New York. Um, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on five years here now. It's almost the longest place I've ever lived uh, continuously. So, um, you know, especially the last two years in the pandemic, you know, it was very like, oh, maybe I should leave New York, look for greener pastures, less crowded pastures. But uh, it just ended up being really hard to leave. It is hard to leave. I can attest to that. I can attest. The only reason why I left is because my now husband couldn't move to me. He had a green card at Microsoft and I had had to go to him. And I was like, oh, I never thought I'd leave this place. But here we go. Here we go. Someday. <laughs> no. I, I have an inkling I'll find myself back there. Um, oh, someday. it's always open. <laughs> and I know, right? It's right there. Uh, what a great story. I love how you have this sort of dual business, this dual university background that you got to do it all around the world. In terms of today and what you're facing with clarity, what's one challenge that's keeping you up at night? Something that you, it's a head scratcher. You know, and I guess as always uh, in product marketing, messaging is a huge one. Um, you know, so much goes into crafting a message that'll resonate without just being another voice or being confusing or otherwise alienating the audience uh, in, in the technical world, uh, just because these products, you know, you're also in the marketing department finding yourself playing translator uh, as well as marketer because you're trying to take, you know, very deep com concepts and position them in a way that makes sense to the people actually buying them, uh, not the people that design them. 
So that's always my biggest challenge. Uh, and then of course, you know, if you look at the the next step of that would be enablement. Um, how do you get your field teams, your sales, your solution engineering teams to carry that message uh, in a clear and consistent way? I have so many questions, which is good because actually, <laughs> spoiler alert, this is what we're going to be talking about. Um, one thing you said that, and I don't know if it was the alliteration of it that's sticking with me, but alienating the audience, uh, it feels easy to do these days, especially with a technical audience who's skeptical already. Is that is that the case or is it just... A just sort of natural way of you thinking of wanting to make sure that the message is sort of um, thoughtful and intentional, or is it because you have to be extra specially intentional and thoughtful given who you're speaking to? I, you know, I think it's a combination of all of them. Uh, you can alienate the audience by just having an unclear message or having a message that's deemed um, sort of as you're talking down to them about the technology. Uh, on the flip side, you can overpromise. Uh, in terms of what your technology provides. Uh, and then, of course, you can alienate them through uh, FUD marketing, the, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt uh, end of marketing, which you know isn't maybe applicable to every industry, um, even though you'd be surprised how many people try and introduce FUD into the most uh, innocuous of, of uh, messages. But um, yeah, that, that's a really big way to turn people off, I think. You must have these pair of shoes or your feet will fall off. Yeah, exactly. Or some, <laughs> you know, marketing after school snacks, yogurts. I mean, the idea of your kid growing up to be gaunt and unhealthy because they didn't have their yogurt. Um, but it's, it, yeah, I guess it makes true. sense that people gravitate towards um, the emotional side of marketing because, you know, especially in, in school, you're, that's one of the things is that people make decisions based off emotion or these other mm -hmm. drivers. Um, but that's one of the big ones. So, you know, you think, oh, I'm going to tug on that because, you know, that's going to be an easy way to to resonate. But uh, if you go too far or you tug on it in the wrong way, then it's not it's going to turn people off. I want to sit here for a second. You're giving me you're giving me a platform to rant for. And I think this is so applicable and drive me nuts. So I, I'm playing yeah. one of the apps. You know, I play these games on on the apps just to, to fiddle with. And um there's this ad, this one ad that comes up constantly about somebody who has who has cracked the code on how to win your ex back. Oh, <laughs> yes, I know. Great. This is so I know, and he uses like fun marketing all over it of like how to change their mind, and it's it's so gross, and it's I. Yeah, it's one of those. I I just can't agree with you more. Of like, he so, is clearly. Yeah. <laughs> following some sort of playbook that is geared towards, you know, playing into that emotional impact of like why making someone want to be with you. It's just so, yeah. so wrong on so many levels. Awesome. <laughs> it makes, it makes, I'm like, man, this makes marketers look bad. Yeah. And exactly. I mean, it, it is really, I mean, and, and it's a bad look. It's a bad it's a terrible look and I wish I could like unsubscribe, <laughs> I I could unsubscribe for certain ads. That would be one of them. Please yeah. Well, and it's, you know, if you hear, you hear a lot of people describe unscrupulous lawyers as ambulance chasers and things mm -hmm. like that. And that that's mm -hmm. really what a lot of FUD marketing can be, especially in my world of cybersecurity, when, you know, we see an attack happen um, or, uh, you know, a ransomware incident or something 
people people use that for um, messaging, uh, and it's fine to lay out the risks in the environment that you're dealing in. Um, it's fine to convey how a technology overcomes these risks, but to say, you know, to set the stage with this, imagine you're in a hospital and the lights go out and, you know, your loved one is sitting there in the bed and their medical devices start, start you know, blinking on and off because of a ransomware incident. It, it's, it, it feels just wrong, wrong. To, to take that approach towards uh, messaging, but to outline the risks of, hey, medical devices are vulnerable to ransomware incidents because of connectivity, you know, digital transformation, all of these things that are connecting the physical and cyber worlds around us. Um, those, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's still the same. You're getting to the same point at the end of the day that yes, lives are at risk because of connectivity, um, because connectivity has been done hastily or without cybersecurity in mind, but you're not doing it on a such a direct level where you're like trying to get into the psyche of someone so they just whip out their credit card, um, which anyway isn't how the buying cycle for most B2B processes work. You've got 20 people involved in the decision. So, you know, getting one person to make a, a snap decision to call you isn't isn't going to close the deal anyway. It just looks bad. From a B2B perspective, especially in cyber and, and talking to your audience of technical advisors, I'll call them, it could be CISO, it could be, if it's a smaller company, it might be um, more of a CTL, whatever it could be. But um, to, in talking to that audience specifically, it's not an emotional decision for them, is it? Um, not usually. I mean, a lot of the times, especially in, in the environments, um, that, that we deal in. So heavy industry, you know, manufacturing, whether it's food and beverage, pharmaceutical, uh, critical infrastructure. Um, so energy and water distribution, energy generation, uh, and then of course, healthcare. Um, it can be emotional, uh, just because, uh, especially if you're the head of a hospital group, for example, um, your entire goal, everything you do is to deliver high quality patient care at the end of the day. Uh, even if you make more money doing it or you uh, save money on your procurement because of better you know, data-driven decisions, you're still trying to deliver high quality care. Uh, same with infrastructure. You're trying to keep power and lights on so you know people can live. Um, so it can be emotional, but it also is all financial. Um, you know, you, you want to make your uh, organization grow. Uh, you know, if you're a food and beverage manufacturer, uh, alcoholic beverages, for example, ahead of a major sporting event, that is your peak time of year. So um, that's, you know, more, more uptime and financial driven. So it really just depends on which part of the buyer you're speaking to. But I guess long, long answer to your question is it can still be emotional, be. even if it is B2B, uh, just because of the areas that, that are, uh, involved. From a B2B perspective and the messaging standpoint, so how do you balance between that emotional side wanting to touch, you know, if the audience is making decision that could be emotional, do you play into that at all? It feels like a fine line between how you set up your messaging in that regard, or do you just stick to the facts? Right. Yeah, no, I, I think the, it is definitely a balance. And I think 
at least from my perspective, I try and lean more towards the facts, more towards the straight, the value of the solution. So of course, uh, part of that is understanding the environment that it's going into. So the needs of a healthcare environment are different from the needs of an electrical uh, utilities generation or a food and beverage manufacturer, or a pharmaceutical manufacturer. So I think a lot of it is just showing them that you understand the applications of their environment, what challenges they face. Um, and then when you start to get into, okay, I understand this environment, I'm conveying the value of, um, of what the problem we solve is, the emotional side gets in when it's when you start talking about the implications of not doing it. Uh, what are, you know, it's great, we can do all these things, we can serve your environment, we can provide this value uh, in terms of continued uptime, uh, health and safety risks to your personnel, uh, just because physical processes affect the physical environment. Um, so what happens if you don't do this? And that's where a lot of people tip in the favor of the emotional side is that, you know, there's implications for not doing things, especially in the, the cybersecurity world. Um, you know, if it's working really well, you don't necessarily hear about it. Uh, so it's easy to have it go in the in the back of your mind at that point and, and not want to spend money on it because, well, I never hear about it. Well, it's because it's working because you've invested in it. But if you don't, here's the areas where things could go awry. And that's, yeah, I could see how that would easily play into the emotion and sort of scare people and that that sounds like bug coming to play real easily if you're talking about yeah. like the, all the things that could go wrong if you're not, if you don't do this thing that we're telling you to do. Right. And I know you said put fun aside for a second, but I guess it's I, that when you get back to the emotional side, yeah. uh, trying to like to, to convey that to the buyer, um, it naturally leads back into the FUD arena. And I don't mean you do it. I just meant. Yeah but becomes part of the conversation the second you talk about emotional buying. Yes. I, so it sounds like trying to sort of let that question lie for the audience, right? You don't need to necessarily answer that. Right. It's more that um, talking through that, you know, I think when people are normally searching for, they, they have, when they start going out and trying to figure out if this is something they need, there's, Right. a pattern of search of like why they need this thing or why it sparked or what challenge that they're having for then for you to show up and sort of be that answer. Um, yeah. You can peak their, it sounds like you could peak their interest from a high level, from that high level intent standpoint, that top of funnel by talking about um, the, the challenges they could be having that maybe they haven't spotted yet, but you could do it in a way that's again, not like the world is going to implode if you don't do this thing. It's more of, hey, people are having this challenge. Here's how we fix it. Um, maybe you're not having that yet. That's fine. So just so you know, if this thing yeah. happens, we're over here and this is what we do, right? And so it, it's bringing people along to ultimately make the decision themselves is really how I feel like the market shifted these last like five, 10 years. And they don't want the fear factor anymore. They don't want you to right. scare them into making, they don't want this to be an emotional decision. They want to feel in control of making the decision themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one, one really easy way to avoid that is just don't use hypotheticals as much and people, oh, and yeah. it, it sounds, um, I guess like a no brainer, but 
you'd be surprised how many people still use hypotheticals, you know, use your imagination. Let's, let's paint this really dark picture of, of what could happen to you. But, you know, pe- people don't need you to, to stoke their imagination. People have pretty wild imaginations. So especially this give, day and age. Yeah. Give them examples of what is happening. You're not, you're not creating this big, scary monster. You're showing the one that already exists and you're talking about, Hey, these are the ways to avoid encountering this big, scary monster. Um, and here's here are real examples of ways that uh, maybe your competitors or people in your industry have faced this. Um, and here's how they overcame it. And if you want to go a step further, here's how we helped them overcome it. Um, but you're using real examples that are not verifiably not exaggerated. Uh, because when you get into the realm of imagination, it's very easy to exaggerate. So, um, yeah, I love that. No, I think that's a really important distinction. I'm really, yeah, I, I, I use, I wonder a lot, which I need. Yeah. And I need to wonder, got got plenty of real examples happening around me. Um, in terms of messaging and fun, some of the things you mentioned, it sounds like it's use case really that comes into play there of showing up from a use case or case study sort of standpoint. How does, we sort of talked about this when we were prepping, um, and this is where I'm really curious because in those use cases, um, whether it's your use case or a competitor's or something that's happening in the market, those statistics that show up, it there still feels like there's a balance there between showing the information and being clear about it but also like not trying to show like you're taking advantage of a situation either. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you, you definitely, um, well, it goes back to the ambulance chaser thing. You, you don't want to just because something happened immediately jump on it. Um, and I think that that takes a lot of restraint for organizations, um, especially small ones, you know, they, because they don't have as many avenues to get the word out there as a large uh, enterprise, latching on to these uh, market events uh, in my world, whether it's a cybersecurity incident um, or or another industry, it's it's easier to latch onto those and say, oh, I want to contribute to the the conversation happening around this this thing that happened. Um, but if if you're going to be saying the same thing as everyone else and just trying to get out there for the sake of getting out there, then you're, you become associated with that, um, but not necessarily in a helpful way. And I think yeah. that that's applicable to, to any industry is it, if, I guess if you're not going to add anything new to the conversation, nobody likes white noise. Um, so it's just, you know, it's just fuzz at the end of the day, if, if you're just parroting the same thing everyone else is saying. Yes. I, I think there's a lot of that right now, especially as, some of these new newer startups in cyber, especially are sort of popping up. Um, it's hard to find. It, it feels like cybers really is sort of exploding from an industry standpoint, but in call and in relation to the fact that more cyber attacks are actually happening. And it's this balancing act between building the products fast enough to combat that Um and yeah. also trying to, you know, build market share and get their name out there. Cause if they don't have capital, then they can't keep building to then protect. So it's that endless cycle. Um, right. And, and it's like playing whack-a-mole <laughs> with the, uh, the creativity of people, um, you know, these malicious actors that 
you close off one door and they find another. Um, so it's it's staying ahead of the curve in that regard. Uh, and yeah, you're right. There's there's a, a thousand companies a day that pop up that solve very specific issues uh, in networking. So how do they break through that noise then? If they're if they're trying to stay away from ambulance chasing of the news, if they're trying to um, not fall into the the hypotheticals and scaring people into buying their product. What would you say to those startups trying to, trying to find their voice? How would, what's something that you sort of wish you knew when you were in that moment? Um, I, I think I, I hate to, to use the phrase thought leadership, but um, contributing to the broader body of knowledge around your field um, it, it doesn't matter if it's cybersecurity or some other tech subject, um, you know, advertising or manufacturing, just contributing to that broader body of knowledge for your industry is a really good way to get attention that is unique to you because it's something you've done. I love that because it is, it, thought leadership isn't just about I find that with thought leadership, you tend to put out similar information with a different, with your own sort of spin on it. Oh, for sure. Versus and, and creating anything her, new. So when you're talking about right. contributing to the broader body of knowledge, it sounds like it you're contributing new thought, a new idea in relation to exactly what it is that you do that nobody else is doing. Yeah, definitely. And in, in the cybersecurity space, I have a great example of this is zero trust. Everybody's talking about zero trust, writing a zero trust white paper. And I've written a zero trust white paper, so I'm not, you know, <laughs> um, uh, immune to it. But I, I don't necessarily know that that's thought leadership anymore if I'm just putting my spin on zero trust. Um, I'm understand. I'm, I'm helping contextualize it. Uh, to our space, you know, what does zero trust look like in an industrial environment, in a medical environment? Um, but I, when I say, you know, thought leadership, I'm, I do mean, you know, real something new. What have you researched? Um, or what has your organization done to better this space? Because it really, it makes the industry better for everyone. And a lot of people, you know, they don't want to write about it because they're thinking, oh, I'm giving away my secret sauce. Don't give it away, but you can still talk about how you're how you are changing the industry. I mean, if if you're going to put on your website, you know, we're changing the world through this, this, and this. Talk about how you're doing that in a way that's that's new. This is an interesting conversation because I feel like you, sh there's no harm. I feel like it builds better trust if you can sort of give. I guess it's a little different in cyber, but I. You know, if you can give away some of your secret sauce to build that trust, you know, if people want to go do it, here, here it is. Here's how you go do it. Um, yeah. Chances are they're not going to know how or want to or have the energy or cycles. So they're going to have they're going to come to you to essentially make it happen. Um, and for those who are too small, who can't yet, then they look they they'll remember you right. when the time comes and then they do need that. Right. Because they're like you gave me this thing that got me started on this journey and that come back to you and say, okay, I need you to do this because I have the funding now for you to do it. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, exactly. I mean, get, get out there, submit to conference, submit conference papers, um, speak anywhere you can, you know, it, it's, it's a slower build. I would concede that. I mean, yeah, you're not going to get on MSNBC talking about, you know, the growth of your company and Forbes is not going to put you on the cover of their magazine as the next big tech leader because you submitted a couple conference papers. Um, but within your circle, you'll become 
more recognized as that thought leader, a real thought leader. Um, so it really takes getting known in your circle before you start to break out of that. I, I think trying to do the other way around, getting on the front page of Forbes so that your circle recognizes you is a, a backwards way of looking at it. And at the end of the day, that big, big time recognition is not what's going to grow your business, I think, as much. Well, also, when you're talking about startups, you don't need thousands, hundreds of thousands of customers, right? You want to, that'd be a little scary if you made that happen overnight. Yeah. You, wanna, right. you, need the, you need that slow build because your company's got to build with you. And so really thinking right. about, well, how many customers do I need to sustain my business right now? What do I want to grow into creating those those um, those goals? And then from yeah. there, figuring out, okay, who you know, who are my personas? Who do I need to talk to? What do they look like? And then tailoring that message in a way um, that speaks directly to them in that pain point, right? I mean, if you're trying to speak too broad and too big of an audience, then you're not going to get the right people who actually, you know, what a weight. It's a lot of waste. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's definitely a value in, you know, broad media coverage recognition. I keep using the example of being on the the front cover of a magazine. There's value in that for sure. But if you don't have the credibility in your own field, um, it's just not going to translate as deeply as it could. Yeah. So in terms of aligning messaging with your audience, layering the, that, uh, evidence with statistics and staying away from um, the hypotheticals and the FUD. Is there anything from a messaging standpoint that you feel like people are still not getting or still doing wrong, so to speak, of how they could be doing this better, specifically for the cybersecurity audience? I mean, it's very technical. They're not, they see, I feel like they see through inauthenticity real quick. So it's a very hard line to walk when you're trying to get your message out there. So is there anything else where you feel like you've seen something in the market that people need to stop doing and a better solution for them? Yeah. um, You know, I, I don't know that there's any continuous unique problem that I, from my position, see. Um, it's, you know, it, it's more just the same old know what your product does and and like why it matters don't uh, you know how your product works is is important to understand it's important to communicate as well where you can um but the majority of people are not buying your product because of how it works it's what it does for them so truly understanding your buyer and again this is not new at all <laughs> um but knowing the 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 applicability of your product you know, how it works great. Why does it matter? Um, and and keep it clear, keep it concise. Uh, like you said, stay, or stay away from the hypotheticals. You know, it sounds like you're talking about not leading with features. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Don't lead with features. Um, and don't lead with the, uh, the F word fluff. <laughs> <laughs> we hear, we hear that a lot. And, 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 when we're creating messaging is that, you know, you, you don't want to just have marketing fluff. And that's one of the biggest insults you can get from your sales and field teams is that you're just giving me fluff. Um, so, you know, we try to avoid that. That's, so how uh, do you make it tangible without 
leading with so much the how and the features? Relating to how, like how, how is your customer or your prospect going to actually use it? Set the stage for them that lets them understand that, okay, you know me, you know my processes, you know my stakeholders, um, you know what's going on in my industry. Uh, I think verticalization uh, is a really, really strong thing these days um, because there are so many technologies out there, so many companies coming out. Um, not again, not just in cybersecurity, but there's. It feels like, and I, I don't know the numbers behind this, but it feels like there's more companies coming up every day than ever before, um, and they they solve very specific issues, and some of them claim to solve every issue under the sun. Um, so I think that, you know, nobody, people don't want that generic anymore. They don't want that company that has the broadest portfolio of, you know, 5,000 networking solutions to, you know, we can be your one-stop shop. Um, they're buying specific solutions for specific problems and for companies that understand their environment, that understand their, um, stakeholders. And I think a lot of it, you know, we see that translating uh, whether it's in one direction or the other to the consumer side as well. I mean, as consumers, we also no longer go for generic things. We, we, you know, we want specialized things. We want that streaming service that just does horror movies and then a separate one that just does comedy movies. Uh, so it's really, um, you know, I don't know which direction it's coming from, but it's kind of the, the theme of, of today. I feel like we grew up in a world and uh, you had a very different childhood, which is glorious. So I'm curious how this yeah. plays into it, but it, it feels like in, in my childhood and the way I grew up, it was very much, and my mom's a teacher. So I, 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 you know, if you think of a classroom, it was very much teaching to the middle. And so everything becomes very vanilla because you're teaching to the right. kids who all sort of operate in the middle and you're just trying to get the kids on the edge, you know, keeping the kids who are doing really well from being bored and just trying to bring the kids at the bottom along enough that they get it so that they can like yeah. move on. Right. So when you're teaching to the middle, you're not creating enough variation to allow the kids who are doing really well to flourish and go be up, up above and beyond. Um, and then the kids at the bottom, you're leaving them essentially behind. They're never going to be successful. They're never going to be sure. successful because you never gave them a chance to learn within right. their element. But when you can figure out, just like we're talking about your audiences, and then how you can teach each persona, right? Then you're creating different flavors of information and how you present the information. And technology yeah. has certainly helped in that way. So I feel like that's now that we're moving away from teaching to the middle. And we're really understanding humanity and right. all what we all bring to the table and the differences that make us all up and that no one person is the same, nor are we all going to learn the same. Right. Then we do want something that speaks to us in a really niche sort of way. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. We, we want that curated experience, that bespoke message, you know, the the made for you buying experience um, because yeah. there are so many people involved in B2B buying processes, you know, procurement, finance, security and risk, you know, manufacturing, IT, all of these people have very different priorities and they want to know that you understand their priority mm -hmm. and that to you, their priority is the most important. Uh, you're telling the same, you know, that to everybody else in the buying process, but understanding their 
needs curating your message to the buyer, uh, to the persona. Um, again, it's not new. People have been talking about you know uh, persona-based marketing for a long time. Uh, but I think as the diversification grows in the buying process, that really becomes a, a discipline in and of itself. And it sounds like, you know, in terms of getting specific into the industry, so like you were talking about pharmaceuticals. So if your product, for example, only served pharma, then you don't need to try and understand IT, finance, as CISOs, across three different industries or four or five, you just want to know how this industry with these folks, what's important to them. It sounds like it gets a little easier, um, you know, from a marketing standpoint as well to be really intentional when you can sort of take out too many variables. Easier to focus, definitely, but also uh, easier to mess up. In the sense that because if you're speaking to a very specific persona, so a procurement buyer in a pharmaceutical environment. Um, they also have very specific verbiage for the way that they they use things or concerns about uh, purchasing things that need to be some level of FDA compliance. And if you go in there and, okay, you're talking about a lot of things, but you don't mention something very specific like FDA compliance, then they're going to that's they're gonna notice because yeah, if you're so tailored to me, how have you missed the biggest thing in my environment that is unique to my environment? It sounds like you really need to know your stuff if you're gonna niche down that specifically. Like you can't yeah. show up well, yeah, I mean, really you, with high level information, you really have to, to your point, be really intentional and specific about it. So it yeah, could take but, more like work. Sure, definitely. And it, it again, it's it's nice because you you know that you just have to focus on that one thing. So from a focus standpoint, great. I need to learn all I can about this environment. Uh, but that also means that you're really setting yourself up to make yourself look like an outsider if you if you get it wrong. Um, the easiest example I always use is if you walk into a semiconductor uh, facility and call it a plant or a, a, a yeah plant, it's a fab. Semiconductor manufacturing facilities are called fabs not manufacturing plants, not factories. Um, and the second you call it a factory, they're going to know that you don't deal with semiconductor companies very often, do you? Um, yeah, that's so true. Yeah, you got to have all the lingo down, especially in this day and age where they have a word for everything in every industry and an acronym yeah. to go with it. Right, and it's small. Like I, I concede that like, all right, oh, come on, it's a factory at the end of the day. But if you're trying to speak to that person, mm -hmm. they want to know that they're the only one in your world. Let's let's end here with this last question, because I think this is circling back to the messaging piece of it. Um, there is, and again, I feel like this whole conversation, which has been lovely, has been around balance of how you balance all these different variables in a way that um, speaks thoughtfully to your audience, that gives them what they need, that doesn't scare them into buying, but make sure you understand them. How do you do that from a messaging standpoint? How do you create that balance in the way that we're talking? Because one of the things we hear from a messaging standpoint is that you want to be careful to not use too much jargon or too many acronyms, or um, you want to just speak, yeah. you know, sort of plain English or as, so, you know, as, a, as the phrase goes. So in that sense, 
talking about using the right verbiage, but also being careful not to um, jargon up your your landing page. What's where's that balance? Um, you know, I think test driving it. You know, messaging is a living thing; it's iterative. You put it out there um, internally, of course, after you create it. Marketing, product marketing, sure, we own messaging, but we don't do it in a silo. So talking to product management, talking to your field teams, you know, ask them how they're selling it. Because just because, you know, you're creating it doesn't mean you shouldn't take that feedback from the field because they know what works when they're in front of a customer. So test driving it with your field, with your internal uh, development teams, um, understanding that it's an iterative process. Uh, and that you can you can adjust as you go uh, is really the best way in my mind to find that balance. Because of course, yeah, I've I've been doing this for years now, but that doesn't mean I'm the authority on it. There's always something new out there. Um, so my word is not the word on messaging this product. Um, and I think it's just important to understand that and 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 go in with that very collaborative approach to to messaging. Uh, and in terms of jargoning up, you know, your landing page. If the landing page is for a specific buyer, jargon the heck out of it. Uh, in my opinion, if if you're if you're sending something to a procurement guide, a pharmaceutical company, a specific campaign, make it look like it was made just for him. Yeah. Um, you know, it, if if somebody lands on that landing page that's totally outside of your buyer uh, buyer realm, they're never going to be a customer. Um, and this is just my opinion. They don't, you know, if they don't understand it, they don't understand it. They're never going to buy from you anyway, uh, because they somehow landed on your landing page. Uh, you really want to speak to your customers. I love Again, that. I, I understand that sounds could sound a bit self-destructive depending on the <laughs> on the business. So if you have a broad buyer base, by all means don't do that. Right. Um, but I but when you're talking about specific landing, but like you specific personas specific people who are buying a specific thing get specific and yeah. and in a way that's not your whole website but a segmented landing page that it doesn't even necessarily need to be connected to the rest of your website just yet it could just be for right. paid ads where you know you're targeting these people to come through this process to make this decision um and this is how far they are in the in the funnel right and test the beauty of yeah hey because you can test yeah. it out really easily so exactly. i actually consider it yeah totally iterative. I also think it's the beauty of technology has brought us brought us to a place where we can get more personalized in this way that we didn't really have before. We had to have this sort of catch-all yeah. environment. Um, and thanks to segmentation and the, the right MarTech, you you can be really intentional. And I, I love that. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you for this conversation. Um, uh, I do- having me. I do think it's been this balancing act of everything we talked about came back to how do you balance these variables to ensure the right messaging to the right audience um, in a really intentional, thoughtful way? Is there anything that we missed or that you want to add just after sort of experiencing the conversation that you, one last thing you want to say? Yeah, no, um, I think the, it all comes back to show like restraint in your messaging. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to tout your, to tout what makes you unique, what makes you different. Um, you know, I get, I've had salespeople come to me and say, why are you so afraid to say we're the best? 
And it's, I, I think we are the best, but just saying it doesn't mean anything. We have to be able to prove it. And we have to have the restraint enough to to know that we have to prove it before we can say it. Um, so yeah, I think that's. Yeah. I love that. No, thank you so much. Before we close out here, you are, you know, even though you chose marketing or marketing chose you, you are more than a marketer, yeah. more than a product marketer. Um, so I have three quick questions for you to round out okay. our conversation here. The first one is, have you picked up any new hobbies these last few years, given the change of things? No, <laughs> I have not. Um, I've been anticlimactic, but no, I think I've just doubled down on the the ones I always enjoyed. Um, I, I cook a lot. I bake a lot. Um, I guess if you consider coming up with uh, ad hoc business ideas on the backs of napkins, then sure, I've done a lot more of that these past two years. Uh, you know, game meeting with people I know, gaming it out, thinking what would we do if we did this? Uh, how would we do this? Um, yeah, maybe that's become a hobby, just fantasizing about uh, all the different businesses you could one day start. <laughs> yeah, that's super fun. I would totally enjoy that. Um, second question for you is you're in the office right now, which is so cool. And maybe you got some folks there that are part of your team. If you all were brainstorming or maybe you're just walking around and meeting people and saying hi or seeing what they're, they got going on, what music would you want playing overhead sort of set a vibe? Oh, that's tough. So one thing, especially in these, in these mixed environments, when it comes to music, I always think is fun is to just tell everyone to pick one song and put it on. So like make a playlist where everyone just contributes one song that way. Oh, it's like, funny. all right, you're going to, you're going to get with some that are, you know, not your taste at all. Uh, you're going to put on something that everyone's going to hate, but at least everyone's like, oh, cool. This is like, you know, we're not setting the mood for everybody at once. Um, we're just letting everyone contribute to the mood. Uh, and also it's a nice way to help you get to know people. I love that. What would be, tastes. what would be your song? What would you contribute? Oh boy. Um, you know, you always think about whatever whatever thing you're stuck on right now. Um, I'm a big fan of prog metal, so probably anything by a band called Gojira. Um, it's uh, yeah, definitely would not be everyone's taste, I'm guessing. Uh, but uh, yeah, but I'm that's the beauty of days. the playlist. That's <laughs> exactly the beauty of the playlist. I love that. I'm gonna totally steal it. Um, last question for you: If you could travel to anywhere in the world without long lines, vaccination passes, COVID testing, getting sick, which is a totally a thing right now, if none of those yeah. things were an issue, <laughs> where would you go and why? You know, I've always wanted to go to Germany, um, and I know that that's not like the most imaginative answer. <laughs> No, but it's yours. Of, of all of the places I've been, it's always been circling around Germany, but never actually having gone there. Um, so yeah, that's where I would probably go right now if I could. Especially right now with all the holiday markets they have, they have all these gorgeous oh. Christmas markets would be. It's all my yeah, and I, I was saying when we were first chatting before we started recording, um, you know, winter is my, <laughs> that is my comfort, comfort zone. So if I can be in the mountains right now in, in Germany with a, a mug and a sausage, I'd be happy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Matt, thank you so much. This was, this was an absolute joy. So grateful. Oh, thank you for having me. That was
was my conversation with Matthew Ziegler. If you'd like to get in touch with Matt, please head on over to LinkedIn. His link is in the show notes. Thank you so much, Matt. What a joy. I'm so grateful. So grateful for the conversation. And thank you listeners for hanging out with me again. I'm always grateful to have you. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, and share. This episode was brought to you by MKG Marketing, the digital marketing agency that helps cybersecurity brands accelerate their mission through SEO, digital ads, and analytics. It's hosted by me, Carrie Gard, CEO and co-founder of MKG Marketing. Music, mix, and mastering done by Austin Allison. If you'd like to be a guest, please visit mkgmarketing.com to apply. 